Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And this is probably about as close as we get to a quiet week covering United, following United, however you want to describe it. Because, of course, there was no match last weekend uh, with the game against Leeds being called off and no match to look forward to either for a couple of weeks with the international break in full swing. But fear not, there's still plenty to get our teeth into because Adam Crafton's been a busy boy speaking to Bruno Fernandes. And of course, we've all been busy as usual, keeping a very close eye on everything happening at Old Trafford and beyond. With us today, Andy Mitten. Good morning, Andy. You're finally back from Moldova. That's good to see. Yeah, there were a lot of United fans delayed on the way back from Moldova on Friday. Uh, French air traffic control were having their weekly strike. So I was getting reports of, of Reds being stranded all over the continent. Did you just call them air traffic stroll on purpose or was that a slip of the, <laughs> no. slip of the tongue because they were going slow? Yeah, I'd like to say it was uh, it was done on purpose, but I'm not that smart. <laughs> yeah. So I got back uh, after a seven-hour delay and United fans had a great time in Moldova. Lots of reports, no trouble, the people were very friendly there, but... When you see that the French air traffic controllers are, are doing one of the strikes and it coincides when you're travelling, you know that you're going to get miver and, and be held up. So there's a lot of travelling for United to do. We've got a trip to Cyprus. So I'm, I'm sure whoever's in charge of the French air traffic controllers will be looking at Manchester United fixtures going, right, that day they're in Cyprus and that day they're in San Sebastian. Let's whack them with a few because you've got to travel over our airspace. I'm not a big fan of them. You might be able to gather. <laughs> yeah, I, I did guess that. Um, Carl Anker's with us as well. Carl, you've been comfortable at home like me. No no strolling or controlling <laughs> to worry about. No strolling, no controlling. Just enjoying the uh, the last glimmers of Manchester summer. Yeah. <laughs> it's beginning to get a bit bleak up here. <laughs> <laughs> we've done well though, haven't we? Let's be honest. We've done well this year compared to previous years. Like I said at the top, Adam Crafton has been a busy boy speaking to Bruno Fernandes. There's an exclusive interview on the Athletics YouTube channel now in two parts. Go and have a look at that. Go and have a listen uh, to the podcast as well, which is also obviously wherever you get your podcasts in full. Um, it's an interesting listen. There's lots covered in that. Bruno's journey to Manchester, um, starting like a house on fire um, when he first arrived at Old Trafford. All the problems of last season, the transition under Eric Ten Hag, his relationship with the previous manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, his relationship with Cristiano Ronaldo. There's tons and tons in there. We're going to talk about some of the, the highlights on this podcast. Each of us have picked out a section of it that we want to get into that we find interesting. And it is... A compelling listen, Carl, isn't it really? Bruno is um, an interesting character, no matter what you think of him. He's someone worth listening to. Absolutely. And uh, big hat tips to uh, Adam Crafton for putting him so at ease and, and getting so much great information out of him. The thing I like about Bruno is there's no line in him. He, he says a lot of things in there that you're going, hang on, should you top six 
Premier League football player be telling me all this truth all of a sudden? Uh, and you know, there are certain comments that might you know, end up being to his own detriment later on in the season, but he's going to say it anyway because he believes what he says and he's not one for uh, cowering away from the ball, shall we say. So, yeah. It'll be interesting to see how many of the opponents now mark referees, <laughs> which we'll get into in a moment. That's a section that, that Mr. Ank has picked out for us. Uh, Andy, in terms of in terms of Bruno Fernandes, um, his on-field persona can rub people up the wrong way. I don't think there's any doubt about that, including Manchester United fans at times. We've spoken about his um, moaning, uh, probably is the best word to use for it, on the pitch. And somehow it feels like at times it's to the detriment of his football, maybe. He also spoke about that, which we'll get into later on. But when he sits in an interview like that, it's hard not to like him, isn't it, really? He's a good talker and he's charismatic and he's a leader and you can see some of those qualities on on the pitch. Uh, There's times when I get frustrated with him moaning. He's offered his defence to that. He's talked about why people might pick up on it more uh, because he plays for Manchester United. There's more scrutiny. Bottom line is it's an excellent interview. Uh, Didn't appreciate some of the aggregator accounts trying to rip it off. I don't think that's fair. I think a lot of time and effort goes into original journalism an interview like that doesn't just happen overnight. It takes a long, long time to to set up and it's a really good interview and it's not free to produce that type of uh, work. So I'm, I'm glad I read it. I think the timing of the interview going out was really good because there's not that much Manchester United material about at the moment. Uh, players do tend to speak when they go off on international duty, often to journalists they know best in their own countries and I'm glad that this was done with Adam and really, really good interview, really engaging and, and lots of talking points in there as well. Okay, let's jump into it then. This is the section that Carl Anker has picked out to talk about. I believe you're going to write an article about it as well, Carl, in the coming weeks about this particular habit that, that Bruno Fernandes has, because I'm sure he's not alone. But this is Bruno talking about how he finds space in the middle of the pitch in the Premier League. I call that the referee zone because he's normally no one marks the referee, mm-hmm. so he, he used to be free. So normally, sometimes, what most of the coaches say to the to the players that play between the lines, even the wingers when they want they want to come inside, the striker when he wants to drop, the midfielders, they always try to say the the point where the referee is is always a good point because no one is marking the referee. So. Um, sometimes you, you use that, but you know that the position of the referee most of the times is, is different because it can be a counter. Mm-hmm. Even when you're playing, sometimes it can be in the opposite side where you are playing at, and you cannot move from one side to the other side to get that space. So, Do you think the referees know that the number 10s are thinking? Well, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. But it's, it's about number 10s, number 8, wingers. Uh, as I said, and it depends on the moment, on the way the referee mm-hmm. whistle, because, for example, uh, Mike Dean, that is not whistling anymore, he was l- most of the times in the central of the pitch. So for us, it was not about getting in his position because he was really central for the game, because for him probably was better to see the mm. game. But for us as a position, that cannot be our position. So you have to find out where you can go. Uh, but obviously, uh, for me, playing as a tennis, trying to be between the lines, between the midfielders and defenders, and try to find the spaces where, where you can be free to, to receive the ball and be dangerous for your team. Carl, why did you pick that bit out? Because it reminded me a lot of a very famous athlete in another sport. And since reading that interview, I've gone, I'm going through 
a bunch of uh, old copies of Sports Illustrated I got knocking about because, uh, yeah, I went, hang on, this sounds a lot like a certain famous American athlete who used to pay special attention to where the referees are stood. Uh, it also, if you are of the opinion that Bruno Fernandes is very good at winning penalties, um, the idea that he is constantly monitoring where the referee is and is aware of where Mike Dean is normally stood, yeah, probably, probably helps your argument. Yeah. Uh, so I've been I've been talking to the stats people at the Athletic for a while about the idea that there must be an area of the pitch that is a bit friendlier to um, <clears throat> politely falling over and winning a penalty. So we know a lot of penalties are awarded in a certain area because most referees in the English game tend to run diagonally across from one penalty area to the other, which means there's just certain angles of the pitch they can see. Um, and the fact that Bruno's got that awareness, is able to know how Mike Dean's different to everyone else and is able to constantly go, oh, where's the referee stood? Strikes me as uh, a player who's uh, thinking one level above everyone else. Yeah. So that's something definitely I want to keep an eye out in, in the coming games. Yeah, that's a level of insight that only someone playing in Premier League football can bring you. You know, as as journalists, as fans, as whoever you are watching the matches, you have a perspective, undoubtedly. But that is the type of detail that I don't think you could even come close to, to realising unless you're in that very position that Bruno Fernandes puts himself in. Two parts of the Mike Dean thing that, that got me. One was the fact that like, he knew specifically that that referee was different to other referees, which shows just how much detail he's considering this in. And, yep. and secondly, the line, Mike Dean isn't whistling anymore, I think is a new, lovely way to describe <laughs> retiring referees. They're not whistling anymore. Andy? The detail is fantastic. It's all about the, the smallest of margins. I'm impressed that he, he said this. I wonder whether he's given away too much information there. Whether opponents will think, well, he's just told us what he does. Keep an eye on Bruno. We know where he's going to be. He's going to be near the referee. But then if he's got the confidence to say that and to pull it off and the ability to, then good luck to him. It's fascinating though, isn't it? I think so. The fact that he said he doesn't think referees know what he's doing. They do now. Um, yeah, I wonder I wonder what's going on at PGMOL. Like, Hang on, he's doing what? <laughs> The fact as well, he, he talks uh, more extensively in the interview, Carl, as well, about the idea of being on the referee is probably, uh, again, I'm, I'm trying to pick my words carefully around this. I don't really know why I should just say it as I think. He's around the referee a lot of the game. Um, he moans at the referee. He moans at the opposition player. Mm -hmm. He says in the interview that that's the thing actually that keeps him himself, that keeps him in the game, that keeps him on edge playing. The Liverpool game, for example... Um, being near the dugouts, Jurgen Klopp was absolutely furious with Bruno Fernandes. And it struck me at that moment, Liverpool are desperate to get back into the game. Bruno's doing his thing. I don't know if he went down easily or holding his face or whatever he was doing. Mm -hmm. And Jurgen Klopp was absolutely furious. He was moaning at anyone that could listen. And I thought at that time, I, I don't really like what Bruno Fernandes is doing from a fan's perspective, I find it quite irritating, to be honest. Maybe it's not necessarily the way that you want to win the football match. I don't know. Maybe I'm being unfair because you're sort of in a real eye of the storm, uh, Manchester United at that point, and you need to see out that victory because it's such a huge moment uh, for the club. But what really struck me, Carl, was that Jurgen Klopp wasn't concentrating on getting his team back into the game. He wasn't organising his troops and reorganising his plays and whatever else. He was just moaning about Bruno Fernandes moaning. Which really worked. So I, I had the same thought you did when I was watching the Liverpool game, especially 
So Bruno gets a yellow card for a very obvious dive in the box. And then later on, I think maybe five minutes from time, after Liverpool score their goal, he's holding on to the ball and he's not relinquishing it. And it, you know, it's one of those cases where if he wasn't already booked, he'd be getting booked for it. Uh, I, I remember just like shouting, going, Bruno, you're the captain. You can't do this stuff. <laughs> but he's actually doing it on purpose to, to keep himself on edge. Yeah, you, you, it sounds like. You've got to keep that, you know, you've got to keep that skullduggery is, is the PG-13 way of saying it. You've got to leave that to the other boy. Shithousery. There you go. Thank you for saying it. Um, you've got to leave that to other people when you're on a match day captain. But he, he really wants to play on that edge. I think it's an interesting one. Andy and I talked a lot at the start of last season about how Bruno was getting more petulant with referees. So, you know, when he first came in, you know, 2021, he's very much getting the benefit of doubt from referees. Manchester United winning loads of penalties over the first chunk of that season. Then January 2021 starts and, and United stopped winning as many penalties. Uh, it feels like reversion to the mean and whatnot. And at the start of last season, he was picking up a lot of yellow cards for descent. You know, kicks, punches, descent, yelling at referees and going, this is a bit silly. And there were two or three times in these early games where it, it looked like it was going the wrong way. That he was getting silly yellow cards for lashing out. Uh, there's been two or three times, especially when it goes to Southampton, where he just essentially tries to kick one of the centre-backs because he's not getting any joy out of them. So, you know, it's a really fine line for Bruno. But if he believes that makes him a better football player, I'm willing to give him the benefit of doubt. I think it has different connotations when he's wearing a captain's armband. Because when you're wearing the armband, you're supposed to... And again, this is my old-fashioned... I grew up in the 90s Premier, watching the Premier League thing. You're supposed to be a vessel and talk to your referee. And if you're the captain and you're winding the referee up, you're probably less likely... Your team's probably less likely to get the right calls your way um, but if he thinks it makes it work for him go ahead I mean the, the flip side of this Andy he's been playing professional football for nearly a decade a lot of it at, at a very high level he's played in three different leagues uh, has played a lot of matches internationally for Portugal as well shouldn't he find a better way to get the best out of himself he's played in leagues which have got a different culture to the Premier League where the fans have got different expectations where the fans do not roar a heavy tackle in Italy or in Portugal, like they do in England. My only worry is that when he's when he's down, um, and he's a very passionate player, and I like that about him, uh, is that it wastes time. And there's been times where Manchester United have been chasing matches, and he's down and thinking, no good can come from this. You're better when you're on the ball, try to thread the ball, taking those risky passes that he takes, running towards defenders and... Maybe maybe he's got a bit of that feeling now from Manchester United fans because, as Carl said at the start of last season, it really stood out to me in a very narrow win, a win which United probably didn't deserve, but Wolves away. And I'm just like, stop it, you knob. What are you doing? You're doing everyone's head in. And if I'm looking at that as an English person... <laughs> um, who's grown up watching the type of football I watch, because there are, there are significant differences. Then again, he adapted immediately to the Premier League. Within, within five minutes, he was making a difference. Again against Wolves, it was a nil-nil game at Old Trafford. And he's been a success. I think he started better than anybody expected, and then expectations were very high about him, and he's had some pretty fallow months. As, as well. I think he's arguably been the best post Ferguson signing for Manchester United, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah. 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 Great argument for that. Uh, it, it, yeah. I think it's the thing of 
when Bruno is good and it's all singing and everything's working, fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Andy can comment about whether or not there were definitely allusions to him being Brian Robson-esque a couple of seasons ago, just Captain Fantastic, Captain Marvel. It's, but as Andy says, when things are bad, you are going, just, just stop messing around. <laughs> just, and I think that also, that's, that's all of, that's all he is, right? He, when he's good, he's great. When he's not good, it's, it's going to be weird. But I think the great thing about Bruno is he's always going to be confident in himself. And if you're going to play that style of football he plays, where he's just spraying about and doing loads of risky passes, you can't afford to to question whether or not your methods are correct. He laughed about that uh, risk-taking point as well, didn't he? <laughs> he did indeed. Yeah, he, it's something that gets pushed at these sort of players a lot, Andy, isn't it? And Bruno sort of says, well, if I if I have a game where I keep the ball, I get criticised because I've not made an assist. And if I make an assist, I get criticised because my pass completion rate is low. Um, he's sort of in the team to do that. Maybe there's times where he could recycle possession or keep the ball, certainly in matches where you know United are trying to hold on to a, a position, I suppose. But essentially, that's what he's in the team for, isn't he? He's the type of player in the type of position who can take risks. That's the whole point of him. Kevin De Bruyne is probably still the best player in that position and his pass completion often isn't very high either, but he's absolutely incredible at creating goals and Bruno's probably not far off that level either. There's a lot in common between Bruno Fernandes now and Kevin De Bruyne when he was in Germany, at Wolfsburg in particular. They, they have a lot of similarities in just how they constantly want to get the ball forward. De Bruyne changed because he went to Manchester City, he meets Pep Guardiola, and Pep Guardiola is a stickler for possession as a defensive tool and says you've got to calm down. I think what's happened at United is there's been conversation about maybe making Bruno Fernandes calmer, but also I think Ten Hag has recognised that this is Bruno. He's not really going to change. And, and if you're trying to make him change, it's not. he's not going to be as effective. So you may as well get someone else in to help with those passes, hence Christian Eriksen. And I think that's why United right now, when Bruno has a bad game, is not as damaging as it used to be because there's another player who can pass into the final third. I think the Eriksen point is a good one. I think he's been one of probably Manchester United's best player. In the, in the last um, few matches. I've got no problem with Bruno uh, taking the risks because somebody needs to. Because how else do you break down a, an opponent who is stubborn and being very defensive? If you look at stats around pass completion rates, well, the, the ones who tend to complete the most ones will be the central defenders and the fullbacks. Uh, the players who touch the ball the most in a match would tend to be those as well. They're not taking usually taking the type of passes that Bruno is asked to make. He's a more technically gifted player than those around him and it's great when it comes off and there's some frustration when it doesn't. But he's, he's got to make it. No player in the world has a, tries the most difficult passes and they come off all the time. By, by virtue of what he's trying to do, they are the most difficult passes to come off. But he's got to take the risks and he's encouraged to take the risks. I've got, I've got no problem... Uh, with him doing that some games he comes offering more than others but so what yeah that's just how he is isn't it right at this point then i need to remind you that you can read adam's interview in full on the athletic you can listen to it as well on the athletic football podcast which was the episode published on tuesday the 20th of september depending on when you're listening to to this pod of course 
And remember, you can watch the interview on YouTube as well. Uh, it's in two parts on the Athletics YouTube channel. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can subscribe as well for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, the next section then of the Bruno Fernandes interview by Adam Crafton that we're going to talk about is a bit where he spoke about Cristiano Ronaldo. This is the bit that I've picked out because I think the dynamic of the relationship between Fernandes and Ronaldo has been absolutely fascinating from the start. The background to this is that Bruno Fernandes was a boyhood sporting Lisbon fan. He had pictures of Ronaldo on his wall as a kid. It made it his dream to play for United because Ronaldo had made that same journey. And actually when Bruno Fernandes was of interest to Manchester United. Ronaldo recommended him to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who was the manager, of course, at the time, and the club as well. And of course, 20 years later, Fernandez is in the same team as Ronaldo. But there seems to be constant questions about whether these two can actually play at their best when they're both in the team. And Adam asked Bruno the inevitable Cristiano Ronaldo question. The statistics say that your record is a li little bit better in terms of goals and assists when Cristiano does not play. Do you think that's fair? Depends, because most of my assists last season was for him, so I, I don't really think so. I just had a poor season on the number-wise, and I don't think it was because of Cristiano, it was myself, because before it was me taking the penalties, now it was uh, was him, but I had two chances to take the penalty, I, I missed both. So it was, Obviously, when you get to penalties and you score penalties, give you more goals a season. But uh, I had my two chances and I miss it, so I, I, I can't be blaming Cristiano mm. because he's taking penalties. No, he's doing it in the right way. He scored, so I have to be quiet on my side. And when I get the chance, because against Arsenal was him giving the ball to score the penalty, he said to me, "Go yourself and score." And I miss, but at the same time, I felt like. Okay, but he trusts me to be to be the one that step up in a big moment like that. And uh, I think playing with Cristiano sometimes as a 10 is really good because players respect that much Cristiano, obviously, because he's one of the biggest players or best players in the world, um, if not the best. So it gives you more space? It gives you more space. It creates big space for everyone because the players are afraid of him taking the ball and scoring because they know he's a threat. So... They want to create an overload where he is to, to mark him and to don't give him the, the chance to get his shots, his head, and sometimes they create big spaces for you. So 
I think sometimes, for example, when I scored the two goals against Macedonian national team, one was from his assist and the other one was from his run that creates the space behind him that makes me have the space to run to that space and score the goal. So it's normal that people do that kind of uh, comparison. Mm. For example, I played the last um, four games with Cristiano and I scored one goal in four games. So uh, Cristiano was not playing mm -hmm. in the first 11 and I just get one goal. So uh, I don't think it was because of Cristiano. So uh, it's it's about momentum, it's about timings, it's about uh, sometimes goes in a bad way, it sometimes goes in a, in a better way. So I think uh, every, every player um, should understand that uh, Cristiano is, is, is a really big player and a big threat for every team. And uh, and obviously can be can be a really good one to play together because he has his qualities for assist men, for example that I want to be and I like to be, is someone that you know that if you give you give him the the, the right ball, the good one, he will score goals. So I get I get as I said last season I get like 13 or 14 assists. Mm -hmm. I think seven was for Cristiano or, or probably more. So that's a good answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> I think it was a good answer. It addressed a lot of the sort of concerns that I was just speaking about a moment ago. What do you think about how these two go together, Andy? I think there is a public version of how they go together. And I think there is a private version of how they go together. And as a journalist, I'm always interested to know where the truth lies. I don't think they're best mates. I think they, they respect each other. Uh, I think there'll be times when their relationship is is challenging uh, and also the way that they play together on the pitch. I think the version of events which Bruno has given there is his public version of events where it is the most optimistic uh, and positive version. Because what else can he say? Because if he says anything even slightly negative about any frustrations he has with him, it becomes headline news. And... He knows more than anyone because he spoke about it extensively in the interview about the collective confidence of the squad. And confidence comes from good feelings and players speaking positively about each other rather than negatively uh, about each other. I think, and I've spoke to him about this, his historical respect for Cristiano Ronaldo is, is high. Uh, best Portuguese player ever. If you're Portuguese, you'd probably even say he's the best player ever. But he's also playing in a team with a diminishing Cristiano Ronaldo and he'll be putting balls forward which he won't be able to connect with uh, compared to how he would have done in recent years. It must be weird, Carl, in a sense, that he would have sat in his bedroom at sort of the age of maybe eight or nine, Ronaldo's pictures on the wall with his spaghetti hair in his gold Sporting Lisbon kit tearing John O'Shea a new one <laughs> and then fast forward 20 years and he's playing in a team with him it must be weird for him I, I know he's done it for Portugal previously but to live day in day out training and playing alongside someone who was on your wall they say never meet your heroes I, I don't know <laughs> how this compares to that really but it must be strange for him mustn't it yeah yeah definitely it's it's a sentiment that's carried over in quite a number of the United fans I think there's been a really good video where Jaden Sancho is talking to Raheem Sterling uh, and Sterling pokes fun at the, at the amount of times Sancho brings up Ronaldo. Uh, it says Ronaldo or something. And he's like, every day Ronaldo with you, what's up with that? Uh, but you do remember, you know, it's, it's that reminder of, uh, you know, these football players have a deep respect for Cristiano Ronaldo because the man scored 
over 800 goals and has been there, done that in the Champions League and, and the knife edge at the top tier of football. Um, so yeah, that, that is, that is great. You know, back to the question about the Bruno Ronaldo relationship. I did find it quite funny that Bruno said how many assists he gave to Ronaldo because that's not the real number, is it? Um, which is fine. Look, I've, I, we've all made slight factual errors on this podcast in terms of names and dates. So I'll, I'll give Bruno Fernandes. <laughs> I'll give Bruno Fernandes the benefit of the doubt there. Uh, yeah, I, I think as we as I discussed when we when we went off to the pub the other week after the Liverpool game, I think the 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 f- difficulty with Bruno Fernandes and Cristiano Ronaldo playing together is they both want to be the attacking hub of this United team, uh, and it's not quite water and oil, but it's very difficult to do that, especially when Ronaldo keeps dropping deep and not occupying the last line of. Uh, the defence. Ten Hag will most likely spend the majority of this international break trying to work on that uh, as we go forward, as well as monitor the health status of Anthony Martial. But if Bruno Fernandes thinks there's no issue, at least publicly, then let's, let's nod and go. Fair enough, lad. Yeah, uh, you referenced the stats. I think that it was something like 13 out of 14 assists last season that Bruno Fernandes... Uh, made were for Ronaldo. Um, in terms of goals, I thought this was quite interesting because it Bruno did reference that he had a poor season last year. Certainly in terms of stats, he had a poor season, definitely. Um, but he scored 11 goals last season, Andy. Only five of them were scored when Ronaldo was on the pitch. The hat-trick against Leeds, of course, was before Ronaldo joined. Uh, he's two goals away at Aston Villa. Ronaldo wasn't playing either. And maybe I'm being slightly unfair because I'm... I'm, you know, picking out moments and there'll be loads of different reasons, loads of different reasons. There'll be different contexts for each of these things and so on. But the stats don't make a great reading, do they, for people promoting their positive playing relationship? They did in his first year and a half. He scored 12 goals from February to the end of that 1920 season. And then he got them 28 goals in 2021. So people are thinking, whoa. 28 goals for his position, this is fantastic. So to drop down to to 10 last season, it was a drop-off. But the team dropped off as well. Uh, Individuals dropped off. He didn't have a good season. Loads of players didn't have a good season. Uh, Players talking up their own statistics. I think they all do that. I think they've got their own version of, of, of the truth. It can be quite selective at times. There's an increasing trait for this. If this isn't the players, it's the people close to them saying... Have you looked at the number of crosses that my client has been putting in between the 62nd and 68th minute during (laughs) um, matches on a Wednesday evening away from home in a month beginning with, oh, I think you'll find it's the highest in Europe. So there's a lot of that. Agents actually do that, Andy. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do it. Reminds me a bit of a... To get a pay rise or to get the club to sign new players? Or... They're trying to put their client in the best positive light. And sometimes there are examples which are overlooked. Sometimes they'll genuinely put out... I know players, agents, good agents, the best agents who have got players punching well above their lev- their natural level. And I've, I've had careers punching well above their natural level because I know one guy who was so into um one of his players that he pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and he got him a really high Premier League club 
And in his mind, this this guy, this player, was better than Lionel Messi, and he clearly wasn't. So if you've got someone like that fighting your corner, and that's your agent, that's a good thing, not a bad thing. But in terms of accentuating the positives, it's like football hooligans. They always claim that there was only 20 of us and there were 200 of them, but we ran them. <laughs> we held our own. You never get them saying, like, there were a good 200 of us and there was only 20 of them. The, the numbers are always skewed. There was only two of us, Andy and Laurie in Mojito in Moldova, and there was 10 mojitos on the bar and we took them down. <laughs> I had a drink with him after we'd, we'd done that last podcast. So we walk into the middle of Chisinau and he wants to go to a place which is playing, you know, funky Balkan techno because that's going to be the next big thing in seven years' time. What are you going to say then? And I just, I just want a pint of beer, mate. Nah, but there's this place which is playing like Moldovan fused with Armenian, um, whatever. I just want a beer. So we go and meet some of the other journalists and we go to the bar and there's me and Laurie. And I say to the fella behind the bar, can I have a pint of beer, please? And he says, yep. Yeah. It's very transactional. And he pours me a pint of beer. And I just look at him with a heavy sigh and say, what do you want? And he says, well, I'd better pay for these, which basically means he's ordering the most expensive thing in Moldova. To be fair with him, he did pay. Fine. And then this glass came with a load of stuff in it. I don't know if I haven't got, <laughs> you'll have to ask him next time what was in it. You know, March cultivated berries from the plains of the Moldovan vineyards infused with some, I don't know. So Andy, when you're asking for a pint of beer, you're not, you're not going for an IPA. You're not asking no, for. No, no, you're right. You're right. I'm, do, I'm doing myself down you're here, Paul. I'm for the actually far more sophisticated than, than I'm saying. Simple it. man of simple taste. Uh, We've said it several <laughs> times. You're not asking what lager they've got on tap or, or checking behind to see what bottles they've got. It's just straight up pint of beer. No, you're right. I do like a tasty beer. I'm not like, I'm not real ale twat out of this, but I do like a nice tasty beer. And the night before the game, where Laurie came to meet me later on, I basically got a sneak load of beers in before he arrives because I know he's going to complicate things. We did go into um, a pub which brewed its own beer and I did look around and, and ask for some recommendations. I didn't just go in and say, can I have a pat of Carlin, please, love, in Moldova? And she gave me this really tasty brewed... <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about here, but it was tasty and it was brewed there and it had a fancy tap and it cost three pounds... <laughs> The, the price of a normal beer. So, yeah, in answer to your question, I am up for that sort of stuff. I did a genuine spit take just there, listener, uh, as Andy said that. I just took a gulp of coffee, and then as he said, he's not an ale person, I nearly spat out my coffee. So, yeah, uh, we were talking about stats, weren't we? <laughs> I don't know what we were talking about, but I enjoyed that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Okay, let's get back to the Bruno Fernandes interview then. And the bit that Andy Mitten wants us to talk about is Bruno Fernandes explaining the situation with the new contract that he signed last season amidst all the uncertainty over Manchester United's future, who would be in charge of the club and so on. His contract was done, sorted in the midst of all of that, which seemed bizarre at the time. Um, it seemed like strange timing from his perspective even. Uh, so this is Bruno Fernandes talking about the context to that contract. So uh, this starts in the beginning of the season straight. The conversations for the new contract and everything was was long because, you know, Ole was sacked, new manager coming in, all the stuff that passed through the season and, uh, and obviously it um, was difficult to me to get the right time to get a new contract. In the beginning, of course, you start the season. I start with a, with a banger trick, we won Leeds, uh, Sancho do the, mm. the first game. Rafa Varane is presented in that day, uh, I think 15 days after Cristiano is presented. So the hype of the club, the hype of the players was like, wow, this will be a season with a, with a massive, massive chance. Because the year before you go Europa, uh, mm-hmm. Europa League final, you get second in the league. So you, you, you feel like now this, this could be the year that we change the momentum of the club and we win something. We can, we can go for something big. Obviously, during the season was not that that happens, and uh, and I had my conversations with the club, all the stuff, and obviously that was one point because when Ralph came in, the club said straight away, "He's an interim manager; he'll not be here with us the next season." And for me, that was a problem. I said to the club, "Clear." I said to them, "Look, I want stability, more than you to tell me no. We will gonna win something. No, I want to be competitive. I want to be in a team where I know that." I will be competitive, we will be competitive as a team, we will fight for something, we will be capable to fight with the biggest teams. The club was made, uh, was clear at that time. I, I, I tell them, look, I don't want to know who is the next manager. I just want to know that the next manager that is coming, he wants me part of the project because it's important for you and for me because it can be a manager that comes as a different idea of football doesn't think that Bruno doesn't fit, Bruno, uh, you probably have to go. And I said to them, I'm, sa- I'm telling you this before I sign my new contract and I will get more money. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's not a question of, of money. I said always to them, it's not a question of money. It's a question of me being happy, fighting, being competitive. I have a team that I know that will fight and be competitive to, to, get, to get the best results. And, uh, and, so do, and do you say this to, is that to John Murta? Yeah, director, yeah. Yeah. John Morton and Darren Fletcher was the, yeah. the ones that I spoke the most. And I said to them, I just, I, f- I feel good in the club. Uh, as I said, it's a dream come true. I don't think that is there many clubs that I would prefer to play more than Man United. And, uh, and uh, I, 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 I don't like to say this, but I, I would like to be here for a longer period, you know, create some stability for me for my family, playing for my dream club. But I said to them, I want to be competitive. I just don't want, I don't want to be in England just to be. I want to be here to win trophies, to be competitive, to play against the best. So I signed a new contract, but I want to make sure that the club is on the same page as me. And, it's, and the club make sure that no, the club will make, will make the decisions. They said, uh, Bruno will not be the next transfer window that we will make probably the team to be competitive. We will need time to build that because we cannot just straight away go and spend money. And I said, oh, I understand that. I will be here five years. In that five years, if I'm t- in, in, in four of them or three of them, I will be fighting for trophies. I will be fighting uh, against the best, the best teams. I will, will have a team that wants to compete, will be, will be strong enough and we want 
and we have a manager that comes and put his mark on, I'm okay with that. And, and the club was clear with that. I trust them. And uh, I think I'm, I'm getting the rewards of that because the club is making a, um, is making a mark on the, on the marketing. They brought players in to, with big qualities and big names also at the same time. And obviously now it's, 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 it's about us doing our job on the pitch. Quite a lot to unpack there, Andy, mm. because he spoke about lots of different aspects in the space of just a couple of answers. I think actually his vision of Manchester United's future, both the vision that he was sold when signing that contract and the vision that he sees now for fans was probably the most interesting aspect, maybe. Yeah, and it's fair comment. There's a lot in there when he talks about security, family. Let's not beat about the bush. That's financial security. And that's forever for his family. This contract now is by a distance the biggest one he's ever signed. There was some criticism around it when he signed because he wasn't playing his best football. Manchester United have been too hasty in giving extended contracts, improving contracts. The result is that United are left with players who, who they can't move on because he earned far too much money. I think that Bruno is one of Manchester United's better players. He's having a decent season this year. I see it sometimes from the players' side and their agent side that they're cock-a-hoop because, wow, we've got this contract, this means we're going to earn this, this, this. What a journey we've been on collectively, and they have. Take the Man United bit out of this. He was playing in uh, Novara in front of 4,000 in Italy a few years ago, and then he went to Udinese, and then he went back to Sporting. Sporting's top players will be on 20,000 a week. So it's all right to say... Um, very uh, happy I want to stay here because he won't actually earn more money at any other club in the world. So you can you can preach that one. I don't think he's a bullshitter though. I think he, he genuinely is happy. I know that it was really difficult for him when he moved to Manchester six weeks before the COVID lockdowns. Really difficult on his family. So he's, he's gone from living in Lisbon, mm. surrounded by friends and family in a really nice climate to being housebound in Manchester and he got out the house because he's a professional footballer it was really really difficult for his family so for him to come through that playing so well is to his credit I think he's in a position where he can say to the club what's going on this hasn't been working out like I, w I was told and for the club to say to him we've got money it's not going to happen overnight this this is going to take a few transfer windows I think that's all fair comment we could have said exactly the same thing at any point in the last nine years, but that's not Bruno's problem because he's only been at the club since um, Feb, uh, yep. January 2020. And in the best case scenario, he's right. Manchester United continue to recruit well. I think if we're judging the summer recruitment right now, fans are feeling feel positive, feels positive. No way would I have seen United beating Liverpool and Arsenal. Yeah. A few weeks ago, I, I, no way could I see any result other than a one-all draw at Southampton away. So this is a season of surprises, and he can talk now with far more confidence. He, he couldn't have done this interview straight after Brentford, no, because everyone was absolutely raging. But it's all about timing. No, Adam's piece actually starts starts on that moment. It does. Um, yeah. Thirty-five minutes in, four-nil down to Brentford. I mean. You forget really, Carl, just how much of a big turnaround it's been since then. Um, what did you make of this section of Bruno's interview? It was good. It was reassuring. Uh, I, I like the fact that Bruno's got a realistic time frame for when Manchester United are. 
and it's that very modern thing of when a top six football player says they want to compete for trophies, you kind of get the impression they're not really talking about the FA Cup. Yeah. Shall we say? Uh, Big things, so, I think, is how he described. Uh, yeah. That was yeah, his nod yeah. towards sort of Premier League, Champions League type ambitions. I think those were the trophies he was talking about competing for. Um, I think Bruno Fernandes will be very good in Europa League this season. I think he'd prefer to not have to play in the Europa League again with Manchester United. And the fact they've got this time frame, you know, in the next five years, three of them, he hopes to be competing for, for, for bigger trophies, seems reasonable. Asterix, asterix, question mark. Optimistically reasonable? Yeah. Pessimistically reasonable? I think two years from now with Ten Hag, Manchester United will be disappointed if they're not in the Champions League spaces and in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Well, it, if they won't, it won't be Ten Hag's Manchester United, will it? Yeah, I think that's also a very good point as well. Um, plus, you know, big question marks about the Swiss format and how that's all going to work. Ha, 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 ha. But I think the fact that he's he's able to put such a realistic point and that is really good. I do have that thing, like Andy's just said, of that feels like something Paul Pogba said. Right? That feels like something Paul Pogba might have said in 2017. Or he might have said in 2018. It feels like something Ander Herrera might have said in 2015. Yeah. Or insert name... And date here. Something that Ibrahim Richards would have said or Lukaku would have said. Any time the last whatnot. nine years, basically. Um, so, yeah, saying yeah. all the right things sounds really encouraging. I do have that feeling in the back of my head going, hang on. Well, it's not just Adam Crafton's interview on The Athletic with Fernandez that we've been speaking about that's on the Manchester United section of the app and the website at the moment, Carl. You've also written a piece which dropped earlier on today, um, as we record on Wednesday, and that's to say that no one's mentioned the P word lately, have they? <laughs> I know, I know. It feels a bit like the Hollywood movie where someone goes, can you hear that? You go, no, exactly. Do you think people even know what the uh, P no word one... is at this point that we're talking to, talking about referring to? I think the P word would have been mentioned a bit more if the international break had happened after Brentford. Uh, but the P word is Pochettino, uh, Mauricio. Uh, and I think something that's been quite remarkable recently is that Manchester United are an international break and things seem calm. Yeah. There's there's a competency. Yeah. Manchester United fans believe they've got the best manager for the job right now. Um, I think it, it, it it's probably helped by the fact that Leicester City aren't in great form, Juventus aren't in great form um, and various football clubs appear to be linked with Pochettino but don't really seem to have an idea of what makes Pochettino a good manager. But there's a confidence in Ten Hag at this point in time that is rare among Manchester United managers in the last couple of years. And I think that's worth pointing out. I think one of the big secrets for Ten Hag this season, not just trophies or you know the mitten standard or the style of play, is can he wholly convince the majority of Manchester United fans that, yeah, we've got the right man? You've described it, or it's been described in the headline of your piece, as a calm competence uh, that Ten Hag has, has brought uh, in this first section. But I, I do think that calmness, Andy, is a sensation around United. It might be because they've not played much over the course of the last couple of weeks and it's perhaps not been as hectic as it might have been if the games hadn't been postponed. But there is a calmness about it, and that's because people actually feel all right. I mean, he's a good manager and he's doing a good job. And within a few weeks of the pre-season... Uh, all my sources were, were giving me positives about him. He's a disciplinarian. He is calm. He's in control. You can see that. I'd like him to be more interesting with, with the media, but 
His priority is winning football matches, not entertaining journalists. Ralph Rangnick was fantastic with the media, but the results weren't weren't that good. Um, I think he's he's adapted really well, moving to another country, facing multiple battles, multiple issues from dealing with the media. The the issue of Cristiano Ronaldo was not an easy one for him. Um, he's made big calls. He's been vindicated by most of those calls. There's going to be times when United are beaten badly in matches and there's a complete overreaction, which there often always is. And conversely, when Manchester United win matches, and he's got to bring balance. Um, I think he's recruited a smart team immediately uh, around him. I hear good things about um, about Mitchell, about the role that Steve has, about Benny McCarthy. I think his judgment on players, because he drove the transfer window more than anybody else uh, is also looking good with Lissandro Martinez is looking like a decent player uh, Anthony there was a cry in the in the crowd last week um, in in Chisinau come on Anthony you're an 80 million player do something in a really strong Manchester accent far stronger than the one I just gave there <laughs> I think that's actually a fair comment as well but it's very very early days for Anthony Christian Eriksen, as I said earlier on, has been Manchester United's best player in the last month. Terrell Malassia, well, he's a starter for Manchester United. This is fantastic progress for for him as well. Um, we've not seen um, the uh, the goalkeeper yet, but I think that Eric Tenag is in a strong place, and I think United fans have been singing his name. They were singing it in Moldova last week. Eric Tenag's red and white army, and he's in a position of confidence at the moment. Cristiano Ronaldo could have been a massive issue for him. A hundred percent. And in my opinion, he's dealing... Harry Maguire you know, could have been a, a huge issue for him as well, dropping the team's captain so quickly after backing him. I mean, that's the thing, actually. In an alternative universe, those huge calls around Maguire and Ronaldo, you know, the form at the start of the season might not have turned around. The running thing, even, you know, in an alternative universe, all these things might be points of criticism for Ten Hag and this gap of matches and this international break would have been spent linking Pochettino, Carl, linking other names. Of course, you can go and read Carl's take on this on the Athletics. It's exactly the argument that he's making, but it could have all gone very different, couldn't it? But it's, it's worked out. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the, the big plus point for Ten Hag and the reason I think he beat out Pochettino for, for the job is that he is able to correct his own mistakes a lot quicker than a lot of managers of that sort of tactical view. The the There is the idea that if someone wants to, to play a, a sort of robust tactical style of football, that they believe in that style of football beyond anything else and, and they're not going to change. You know, there's the slightly tongue-in-cheek quote from Pep Guardiola about saying he doesn't teach his players to tackle. Whereas Ten Hag, has made those changes, right? Like, I don't think I raised an eyebrow when he made Harry Maguire the club captain. The fact that he has then gone on in later press conferences and said just because he's club captain doesn't necessarily mean he's going to start every game. Um, and that is not an issue at the moment. The, the Cristiano Ronaldo situation, the fact that he's playing basically as a Europa League player, not as a Premier League player anymore, is not really an issue. And, I, and you know, to, to pick up Andy's point, Ten Hag's press conferences have become quite a fun little game of cat and mouse 
So in the early weeks, Ten Hag really seemed like he was quite confused as to why he was getting so many questions about Cristiano Ronaldo. He'd get one and go, well, I'm not really answering that. And then someone asked me again and he go, why are you asking me about Ronaldo? I'm not really asking. I'm not really want to talk about that. Whereas now, his most recent one, you ask about Ronaldo, he basically gives you very short answers and that's that. He would have learned his lesson from the interview that he gave after the, the pre-season friendly when Ronaldo and others left early because he sat in a room that week with a Dutch journalist, a camera on his shoulder and did an interview for Dutch media um, and answered a question sort of that indirectly or directly depending on your viewpoint of his answer, but indirectly, overtly criticised Cristiano Ronaldo and the next thing you knew, the next day, more or less every single English newspaper had his words on the back page and he had known straight away mm -hmm. that that's how it was going to be from now on. Yeah, and he won't have liked that and there were times on the tour where the back pages of some newspapers were being reported back to, to him and he was exasperated. He's like, what? How on earth can you jump from that comment to that back page this is just ridiculous this bears no relation to what I've said at all and actually I think he was right but he's not going to control the media in the way that he's not going to be able to control social media and the overreactions when Manchester United win or lose a game as I said I think he's he's doing well in the new landscape that he's operating in uh, I think he's settling into Manchester with his family he, you know, Jose moved into a hotel, he wasn't with his family, I don't think that helped in terms of the optics of what he was doing when things were going badly. You hear good things on the grapevine about Eric Ten Hag, I think he's just, he's just a pretty straight person in terms of the dealings that he has with people. If the answers to questions on Ronaldo are extremely short, well, that means that a journalist will think twice about asking about Ronaldo in the future because they know they're not getting a good answer. Uh I thought the press conference in Moldova last week was dull as dishwater, if I'm honest. And But that's just me looking at it as a journalist because I've travelled a long way to do it and I've asked pretty straight questions and just got really boring answers. The opposite of a boring answer is the, the answers that Bruno got. We've learned now not to ask him anything about the uh, about future lineups because he's going to give you nothing. Yeah, But you can also... You know, I asked David to hear about the Europa League. That was a really good opportunity for him to say, actually, I won it with Atletico Madrid. Um, I was back up to Sergio Romero in 2017. This is a competition which is blah, 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 blah. And I just got a... Yeah, you know, we want to win it. Nice one, mate. <laughs> you know when my mates were taking the piss out of me for coming to this press conference in the middle of the town saying what you're going to own there for is going to be really boring. Maybe they had a point. Not all press conferences are boring. Ten Hag's done a couple of decent ones. Again, if the team are winning, he can say as little or as much as he wants. Um, our job is to try and get people to say something interesting, and, and Adam has done that yeah. with that Bruno interview. It's really interesting. I agree. Remember, you can watch Adam's interview with Bruno Fernandes on the Athletics YouTube channel right now. Parts one and two are up there for you to watch. You can also listen to it if you prefer in podcast form. The full interview is on the Athletic Football Podcast feed from Tuesday. That's the 20th of September, depending on when you're listening to this podcast from us. And of course, you can read Adam's take on his interview with Bruno Fernandes on The Athletic right now. If you're not a subscriber, you can be a new one for just £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for the minute, Andy, thank you for being with us. Carl, thank you for being here as well. 
and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Athletic.